Hello and buongiorno from a couple of Europhiles. In case you're curious, we're located here in northern Italy, about two hours west of Venice and one hour away from the most romantic balcony in Europe located in Verona. We're here on Lake Garda to discuss the ultimate disruptor, Elon Musk. Love him or hate him, he's the man of the moment. Chaos agent, provocateur, egoist, business magnet and investor, product architect of Tesla, founder of The Boring Company, Neuralink and OpenAI, and producer of not one, two, three, but four unicorns. No easy feat. And perhaps that's why I want to discuss Elon from an engineer's perspective with Francis as we fumble through the years, as they say, this time in between Christmas and the New Year. But it would appear Elon's pretty focused on combining several of his ventures while using Twitter as a megaphone, pretty effectively at present, or so it would appear. So Francis, I know you've got some time for Elon. Where would you like to start? You know, where to start? The man is amazing in terms of his accomplishments, and he is a genius, there's no doubt. He is not a wonderful human being. I mean, no one's going to give him any prizes for being Mother Teresa. But he is uh, arguably the most disruptive person on the planet. And that's good from an engineering point of view, because there's a lot of really big problems that need to be solved. And Elon is arguably doing more than most to actually drive into that and shaking up the status quo in a way that no one's really done for a very long time. He's a very strategic thinker. Uh, he thinks long term. He does everything linked together. And he wants to get humanity off this planet. And he wants to solve climate change. So what's not to like? So I find it fascinating watching what he's doing. In particular, it's, it's very amusing to watch the furore on Twitter, where everybody is uh, looking at short-term things and, and giving him all kinds of grief, and he just doesn't care. He's, he's, just, he's just basically barreling forward and making stuff happen. So it's very much uh, an engineer's engineer. However, he does trigger people. Um, you can read so many. On any given day, you can read all of these anti-Elon messages suggesting all he does is hang out on Twitter. Um, but listen, you know... I'm, just reading this, I went to his feed, and here he is announcing a steady stream of major events like opening a battery factory, announcing the product improvements on Twitter. He just completed 500,000 solar panel and solar roof installations, equal to about 4 gigawatt of clean energy, uh, boasting that Starlink now has more than a million active subscribers, and Giga Berlin team just built a 3K Model Y this week. But all anyone wants to do is talk about Elon standing next to Jared at the World Cup. But this does bring us to Twitter, I suppose, as a forum, as a news outlet. Currently, the, the Twitter files are there to be read. He's focusing on exposing some serious stuff, I suppose, or would appear. But it's so difficult disseminating the Twitter files, the challenge being this 280-word count limitation. And the way the Twitter files was released, it just didn't appear comprehensive. Therefore, uh, just not as effective as it could have been. But perhaps this is a way to keep it fresh. I'm not sure. But it is difficult, the challenge of trying to put all these fragments together and uh, uncover the leaked bits. So it does have its challenges, does it not? Well, you know, you have to look at uh, the trade-offs that, that have been made. Basically, it's not a newspaper. It, it doesn't have the in-depth editorial uh, review and, and cleaning up that uh, some other media might have. But it is the fastest way to get news out there. And, you know, in the old days, like in Roman times, you would go to the forum to find out what was going on because humanity's always had a tremendous thirst for knowing what was going on. And you would go to the forum and you'd talk to everybody and they'd say, oh, look, this stuff is going on. And you'd be like, OK, I got it. And you would have unfiltered information. And then 
you know, we started the printing press and we had newspapers and newspapers basically told you what happened yesterday or the day before yesterday. And then you had magazines, which told you what happened a week ago, but it was more editorially uh, produced and it had pictures and it was, you know, nicer way of consuming information. And then we went with television, which told you what happened a few hours ago. And then you've got the internet and the fastest of all of these mechanisms for distributing information is Twitter. As, as you've said on a number of occasions, you know, there's always somebody. Not necessarily, not necessarily a positive thing in that the, you know, we're in the era of getting the news out first, not necessarily getting the correct news out for all to consume. So yes, yeah. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no editorial because um, that so it's raw information, raw, and it is likely to be wrong, and it's very opinionated. Um, but the beauty of Twitter, as you know, is you can create your own feed. You can basically see items that you might be interested in flying by, uh, and you just generally get a lot of information. So for what it what it is, and for what it's worth. Uh, it is, you know, one of the only games in town uh, to actually get that that feed of uh, of up to the minute uh, information just strolling past you. You still have to interpret it, and you have to weed out the stuff that's uh, that's not correct. Um, but that's an onus that's placed on you, and it's not different than the printed media. You know, everybody thinks that the printed media or uh, newspapers or television channels actually have better information because they've checked their sources and so forth. But in truth, uh, it's very slanted by whoever owns the channel. Um, you know, Fox News doesn't produce what we would call, you know, really credible news. Uh, CNN, others on the other side. Um, everybody puts their little spin on it. And, you know, you, you have to interpret the information regardless of what the channel is. And Twitter's just faster. And the 280 character limit basically adds to the speed and it forces people to be very succinct, um, you know, like a scrolling headline rather than an actual news story. Um, it's a lot of effort to write a whole series of tweets, one after the other, one, two, three, four, five, to try and build it out. And if you use the platform, you know, more intelligently, what you would do is you just put links in and people can then go into the web uh, to read, you know, your full-blown article with pictures and everything else from your tweet. So essentially, it's a it's a way of getting the information in front of lots of people, um, but it's not a good way without support from the internet uh, to actually expand on the information and and add, you know, multimedia and so forth and so on. So everything has a place, but Twitter is a, is a, is a great forum. I mean, I have many of the same issues that others have in that Elon Musk just isn't all that likable. But at least he challenges the narrative, uh, specifically the war. I mean, it just might surprise Americans how little Europe, specifically Western Europe, is not supporting America's proxy war with Russia. I realize this is off topic, but now that Putin's calling it a war instead of an operation, and how it's escalating thanks to Poland, which few over here would dispute as an outlier, um, Western Europe does not support the war, and uh, Elon Musk did come out and suggested negotiating.
Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a different topic. Yeah, the the war is not popular. You're correct. People wish that the grownups would you know wake up and and get in a room and negotiate something. Elon is questioning the narrative, and of course, he's going to get stick for it because uh, the spin has become just so amazingly atrocious. Everyone's attacking everybody that doesn't agree with their point of view. You know, Elon's done a lot for Ukraine. He's given them a lot of Starlink uh, capacity, which allows them to essentially stay connected to the internet in spite of the disruption to their infrastructure. So, you know, he's he's done his bit. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, you should question the narrative and you should disrupt things, and and that's what that's what Elon is doing. Elon is a provocateur. He is a disruptor, but that's what good engineers are, right? They always look at whatever they're doing or however anyone else is doing whatever and try to figure out if it is really the most efficient, best way to do something. But what I find interesting about him is how he maneuvers his way into the game, or rather how he steps back. I mean, he's a flamethrower to be sure, but then he reverses his or questions his own moves and choices. For um, example, I mean, let's talk crypto. We, we appreciated Bitcoin back in 2011, got into it. Then Musk publicly got into it in a big way. Uh, in 2021, he allowed Tesla cars to be purchased with Bitcoin. But people jumped all over him for two reasons. One was uh, for climate change, obviously. And secondly, for perceived market manipulation. And then he pulled back, right? Pulling back. I mean, basically, there is no religion that he needs to push. He is trying to disrupt things and move things in the general direction. Um, a strategic thinker, he's basically thinking five years ahead of his time. Ultimately, he disrupted the first of his unicorns was PayPal, and he disrupted financial services uh, with PayPal. PayPal basically made all the banks and everybody else start following the internet and basically getting getting on top of it, right? You know, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. He did that with PayPal, disrupting the financial services. And Bitcoin, with its uh, blockchain technology, which essentially allows the elimination of the trusted third party, had the potential to overturn the way the financial markets work. Now, that is very threatening to some of the powers that be that are trying to control the economy. And it's also not the best technological solution because... As Elon has pointed out and everybody else has pointed out who's actually following this, Bitcoin is tremendously inefficient in terms of its use of energy resources and it damages the planet because it burns so much energy in a time when energy is scarce. So there are a lot better technical solutions than Bitcoin itself. But the people have all latched on to Bitcoin as the be all and end all because it was the first crypto. And they're more or less ignoring the smaller cryptos. And the smaller cryptos have the same issue of trust and people's willingness to take on the powers that be to, to truly disrupt the banks or uh, the central banks and, and the financial system. So Elon, Elon basically started the ball rolling. He's raised awareness of the alternatives. But it's not his crusade to make everybody onto Bitcoin. And he's not doing it to make money. Elon's motivations are not really to make money, as far as I can tell. I mean, he, he is basically doing all this disruptive stuff in order to achieve larger, more strategic goals. And money is a, is a byproduct of his activity because he's essentially changed the paradigm in a number of different industries. And that, by its nature, uh, essentially is very profitable. He's changed 
how financial industry works with PayPal, you know, the credit cards and, and everybody's on the internet now. And before, you know, there were checks and people actually wrote checks and that hasn't changed for a hundred years. And then PayPal showed up and now nobody writes checks anymore. So what do you say about all the naysayers that question whether or not he actually came up with any of these ideas? Yeah, you know, the 2% of the people actually do stuff. And 8% of the people stand around and watch the 2% and then try to claim the credit. I mean, it's the same as the Columbus story with the egg, you know? It's like, how do you make an egg stand up? Well, Columbus cracked it and made it stand up. Anybody can do that. Yeah, anybody can find America. Yeah, but the first person who does it actually did something. Everybody else can follow, but it's important to be the first person. In the automotive industry, uh, you know, everybody and their brother said that it was impossible what he did, right? They, the, the automotive industry in 100 years came up with innovations like, you know, automatic transmission. You know, that was it, right? Really nothing much. And then Elon shows up and makes electric cars happen. And it's not just the fact that he basically built an automotive company that is highly valued and so forth and so on. He made them cool. He made them sexy. He showed that there was no downside to electric cars. And he basically then made everybody else follow him. So now you can buy electric from everybody else. And everybody else is following him saying, oh, you know, our cars are just as good. And we've got a long history of making cars. And Elon is just a flash in the pan. But without Tesla, none of those guys would be building electric cars now. Right. So he's actually moved the entire industry by being the first mover. And that is a very disruptive thing. And of course, it's excellent that there's competition and that he's not the only game in town. But he managed to move everybody into that direction. He's doing the same with power generation and power storage, which is super important for climate change. Uh, he's doing that. Uh, he's also done it with SpaceX. You know, he's reduced the cost of actually sending a kilo into orbit by 10 times. And before him, it was just governments, right? It was NASA and ASA and the, 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 the Russians. They were the ones who were sending stuff up. He's the first successful private launch facility. And he's being followed by Bezos, who's trying to make Blue Origin work, but it's not nearly as successful as Starlink or, or as, as SpaceX. And he's basically trying to get us to Mars. And, he, you know, everyone said that it's impossible to go to Mars. And everyone said it was impossible to be electric cars. Uh, but he's going to figure out the challenges and find engineering solutions and hopefully get us to Mars uh, within our lifetimes, which is a, a tremendous achievement. You know, you, you just have to take your hat off and, and applaud it. So there's PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX and Starlink. Starlink is uh, is great because he, he leverages all the other things he's doing, right? Because of SpaceX and their amazing ability to launch things into space relatively inexpensively, he's able to create a, a, a massive network of, of hundreds of satellites, thousands of satellites that, uh, that spans the entire globe to take over the internet, wireless internet everywhere. And he's super smart because the latest news that I've seen on the Starlink thing is that the, the next generation of the Starlink satellites are able to support 5G natively, which means that everybody's iPhone will work directly with Starlink because it will be able to, to handle 5G signal. And he's working with companies such as T-Mobile who have uh, the spectrum in the 5G range to basically partner with them and allow them to sell services globally, leveraging the infrastructure that he's built with Starlink. 
meaning that everybody will be able to get internet and telephony calls anywhere in the world without having to do roaming. With, and he's just going to completely disrupt the telecommunications industry in the same way that he's disrupted the automotive industry and the financial services industries, which are big industries. And he's, he's just hammering it out. Right? Space is not such a big industry because it was the purview of governments uh, before. You know, it's, his uh, SpaceX is, is is amazing, right? I mean, it's it's essentially showing that you can do commercial space, which is uh, which is fantastic. Bring competition. It brings engineering efficiency because you know NASA wasn't really that concerned with saving money. You know, their launches were tremendously expensive, and and he's shown that you can do it for a hell of a lot less and overcome the challenges and really challenge the religion. Uh, you know, everyone, oh, no, that will never happen. Everybody knows that. You know, he's, he doesn't accept that. He looks at something and he says, let's try to find a different way of doing it so that it becomes possible. And he's not taking no for an answer. And he's linking all of his stuff together. The Starlink stuff is based on the SpaceX stuff. The electrical stuff, uh, the, the advances he's making in battery technology, and the, the solar power is another uh, unicorn that he's, he's coming up with. It's all together. I mean, Elon is is essentially the real life Iron Man. He's Tony Stark. Yeah, and you're trying to help out, do your part with the climate change and the solar panels, right? You just got back from uh... in Samoa, where I was uh, not so long ago. They don't get along too well with American Samoa, which is half an hour away. But American Samoa's entire power generation. Uh, they've signed a deal. Uh, Elon is going to put in solar, uh, a system of solar and battery storage that will essentially power all of Western Samoa. And so they're, they're going green, right? Seriously green. And, and they have the uh, the technology to be able to do that thanks to Elon. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. And I wish we could convince him to go to some of the other places in the South Pacific that are seriously at risk for climate change. And what's going on in Australia? What's uh, What's Musk up to there? Yeah, in Australia, in Western Australia, he built the largest solar power station in the world, uh, which powers all of Western Australia, purely on solar and battery backup. Western Australia is more or less a desert, so it gets a lot of sun. It's not that uh, heavily populated, but uh, it's a it's an example of what you can do to really get you know 100% clean energy, which is one of his his goals in life is is to address the climate change issue. I mean, he's basically, look, he's an engineer's engineer. He's looking at the big problems with infrastructure and with uh, society. And he's coming up with engineering solutions to them. But he's not an altruist. Of course, he wants to make some money. He's also very arrogant. He's like, you know, why are these people so stupid? Here's what you can do. Boom, 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 boom. And he irritates a lot of people. But at the end of the day, those of us who care about climate and other things are glad he's there because he has certainly done more as an individual to address those big issues than anybody else in sure. or out of government. I'm not sure what he's how he's trying to tackle some of these issues through these Twitter files, through censorship or trying to expose conspiracy theories, um, certainly trying to go after the FBI and the CIA and their involvement in Twitter. But it's hard to really follow or get a sense of his motivation. I'm not sure that's really what he's doing. Maybe it is. But from where I sit, what I think he's doing is he's trying to encourage critical original thinking. I myself am sick of looking at the, the 
Twitter stream or, or the, the social media stream and seeing all of this misinformation, which gets swallowed hook, line and sinker by the mass majority of people because they just believe what they're reading. Right. And I think Elon is basically trying to train people to do their own critical thinking and analyze the information that they're reading and determine whether it makes sense or not. And, you know, by showing just how manipulated all the information stream is, which is enormously polluted, it's a way of basically making people wake up and say, okay, now I know that what I'm being told is not necessarily true. And I need to find opposing viewpoints. And then I need to figure out for myself, what's the right thing. Yeah, he stuck his neck out there that one time recommending negotiations and he just got hammered. Well, that's because it doesn't fit the narrative, right? We're not going to go into the Ukraine war and the reasons behind it right now, but... He's just trying... Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Ukraine war is a classic example of misinformation, right? They're basically, they've locked everyone out of RT so nobody can actually see the Russian side of the story because, oh my God, they were misleading you, Right. And you're like, well, maybe they are, but so are you, right? I mean, everybody's misleading everybody to spin the narrative to the point where it tries to convince everybody that whatever your point of view is, is the only point of view that's possibly allowed. And there's no debate and there's no intelligent analysis anywhere because everybody just shoots at people that have a different viewpoint of your own. And I think Elon is just as frustrated with this as I am. I don't think he wants Russia to win. So you think he's just a strategic long-term thinker? He's just going to leverage everything? I, I think he's going to leverage everything he owns to make it work together, right? As I've pointed out with the Starlink and uh, uh, SpaceX uh, collaboration, uh, they're two closely linked things. He is, uh, you know, unpopular because he is arrogant and uh, he is, uh, you know, he's irritated a lot of, of talking heads and people. So they're they're attacking him, and by owning Twitter, okay, it's hard it's hard to freeze him out of the conversation, right? So I think it's a it's an insurance policy, and I don't know what he's going to use Twitter for, but he is going to uh, he's going to first of all he's going to disrupt it completely because Twitter has it's historically a it's a he's, it's, well it's a megaphone, but it's been misused, right? I, I personally think almost ninety nine percent of everything Trump says is 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 an incorrect or a lie. It's not necessarily the right thing to cut him off and not allow him to talk. Right. Because otherwise you're just encouraging people to be stupid. Right. You need people to wake up and have critical thinking and actually interpret information and not just believe it and go crazy and, and all this wokeness and anger and so forth and so on. It doesn't help anyone. Right. You need people to analyze the information that they're being given and find the truth for themselves by digging into it and actually allowing a debate to happen so that you can see both sides of an argument and make a, a decision around it. Well, sure, you've got the woke crowd on the left, and but you've got the QAnon on the right. Uh, yeah, look, I, I don't believe the stuff that QAnon publishes. And, and I acknowledge that if you have a bunch of credulous idiots that believe their stuff, that they could cause potentially some damage. However, there are laws against damage, right? I mean, there's laws against the damage. There's laws against, you know, yelling fire in a, in a crowded theater. There, there's, there's laws that are already existing for handling the kind of damage that we're talking about. And it doesn't need to be complete restriction of speech, right? I don't know. This is going to sound like it's such a strange digression. But I was listening to Edward Norton talk, and I hadn't heard him for a few years. And he actually said the same thing he said a few years back. 
He talked about working with Brando and De Niro and these guys, and he said, I always feel like such a square because uh, those guys just came from a different era. But it's what it's the fact that they were trying to disrupt uh, their craft. I mean, that's what Brando did better than anyone. I mean, we came from the tech boom, Gates and all those guys. They they disrupted to, to, to an extent. Um, Bezos? Bezos know. is the king of logistics. But the point, and I, I take issue with this, but Brando was a great actor, maybe the greatest of his generation, probably the greatest of his generation. But he's an actor, okay? He's not solving, like, world hunger. He's not solving... Uh, the energy crisis, he's not solving climate change, things that are going to enable us and our kids to survive on this planet, right? He's entertaining us, which is great. We need entertainment. We, we thirst for it. We like it. Well, stay with me here. Maybe I'll make some sense. Um, you know, Musk has that, well, I don't know, maybe Musk kind of has that thing that Brando had. He's, uh, he's an outsider. At least he feel he's, well, he's physically from somewhere else, but he's coming from somewhere else. It's like Rick Falkvingy. You know, I met him several times. He started the Pirate Party, which is still kind of rocking it. And he said, Bailey, you just watch the geeks. They will change the world. They will be different than before. I don't know. Is Zuckerberg changing it in a way? I, I suppose he is. He's trying well, to... He's not, he's not alone. I mean, Bezos in his own way and, and Gates in his own way have also made significant impact on the world. Gates has eliminated polio, for example. That's a That's a worthwhile cause. Uh, saving millions of children, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're all trying to do things. One of the things that people that really have an impact have in common is they have this engineering mindset where they're looking at a problem and they're trying to find a solution for that problem. They're going after the problem and, you know, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's creative thinking outside of the box, sometimes it's innovate, but it's all innovation right? It's all about creating new things, things that no one thought of and coming up with a brand new idea, right? You know, at the end of the day, you know, those who can innovate really are the people that need to be nurtured and, and treated differently and encouraged to do so because, you know, no one else is going to solve the big problems. I mean, we could all sit there chewing the cud and wait for the, the temperature to rise five degrees and then we're going to roll over and die. Or we can encourage Musk and others to basically get us to net zero. And he's actually trying to get us to net zero. The politicians are all talking about net zero, but they're just a talking shop. They write papers, they pass laws. They have no idea how to actually make it happen and deliver it. And that's why they need people like Musk to actually come up with ideas or like Gates with his micro nuclear fission reactors, which will you know, be green and, and potentially solve the energy problem. I mean, there's a lot of smart engineers that need to be encouraged and Musk is easily the biggest of them, right? He's visible. And the thing that sets Musk apart is the fact that he does it in multiple different industries. He's, done, he's completely overturned, as I said earlier, finance and automotive, and energy generation and storage and, and space. And, and he's going to go after telecommunications next. And, you know, he sees a, a problem and he, he figures out a, a unique solution to it. And he links the two things, the things together so that he ends up doing amazing stuff, right? Well, the issue with Gates is that you've got just too many anti-vaxxers. So that folds into a lot of his achievements. And I, I recall because, again, we came from the tech boom era back in Seattle. And I remember when he was spending Microsoft, Bill Gates was spending $3 billion a year on R&D when $3 billion was $3 billion. Yeah, but he spent it. 
is the point, okay? Well, this is typical, right? Everyone's like, oh, you know, he didn't come up with anything. This is, well, okay, did you spend $3 billion? Did you come up with anything? No, you didn't, okay? At least he tried, and maybe he didn't come up with something, but he was willing to risk $3 billion when it was a lot of money in order to find innovative breakthroughs. He actually made an effort to get the innovation. It's easy to criticize when you're on the sidelines. It's, it's a little harder. It's like, if you really want to criticize, show me what you did. And, oh, you didn't do anything? Oh, well, then who are you to criticize Gates? I agree he didn't do anything, but at least he tried. And we need innovation desperately in order to overcome a lot of the challenges. One of the big challenges is agriculture, right? In the next 10 or 15 years, we need to increase farm yields by something like 60 or 70% in order to feed everybody, okay? Otherwise, we're going to have starvation because population growth and all the other things that are going on and damage to the environment and so on and so on. Yeah, who's going to do that? Who's going to come up with 70% yield increases for farmers? It's going to be somebody with innovation, somebody who's using less water, somebody who's basically coming up with ways of making urban farming happen in closer to the people, Some, someone who's coming up with th ways of not using pesticides, which are killing people. And the people that are successful at doing stuff should be encouraged. Well, hey, I do appreciate Bill Gates and his efforts. And because of him, I was able to find hundreds upon hundreds of people engineering work at Microsoft and other companies in Seattle. So I, I appreciate the entrepreneurial efforts and the successes he's had. And uh, Elon Musk is starting to get my attention. He's, he's got a megaphone and perhaps in no small part to you because you feel he's a fellow traveler and engineers are often optimistic in the part they can play, especially when they're effective, yeah? I, I view life through an engineering prism. And Elon is, is really a, a role model in that sense. I remember the that movie uh, Iron Man when the bad guy is talking to the team that he's assembled to develop the arc reactor. Uh, the guy says, we need the technology. And he says, here is the technology. And Tony Stark was able to do this in a cave with spare tools that he found lying around. And the guy just looks at him and says, I'm not Tony Stark. There is no substitute for brilliance. Being the first person to do something or the first person to see something has a, a value all of its own. And, and Elon has that. So, you know, you just got to watch what he does. And you're curious to see, you're, you're sitting on the couch eating popcorn, and you're curious to see what happens next, because uh, he's going to come up with some amazing new thing. Well, he's certainly making the attempt to leverage all of these companies and services together, not necessarily in a harmonious way, but I guess it can't be anything other than disruptive. He's dancing with the bears, as we used to say, right? There's a lot of people trying to take him down, and there's a lot of issues that are going to be uh, addressing, and he needs to pay attention. I mean, take this lawsuit that forced him to buy Twitter for $44 billion, right? He decided not to do it because it was a nightmare, and then they said, oh, we're going to sue you because you said you were going to do it. And he's like, ah, hell with it, I'll do it. But he is being driven by outside forces, and he's basically trying to spin things around to basically navigate the rapids and get to where he wants to go. And he does appear to have some flexibility, or maybe he's just having fun with it all when he when he did the poll about whether or not he should step down. Matt, he owns the damn. This is so funny, right? Yeah. Uh, he's the he's a very forceful individual. He owns the company, and they're like, "Oh, he's he's a terrible CEO." He's like, "Great, I'll put somebody else there." Great. 
you think that guy will be able to have a sip of Coke without Elon having agreed to it? I mean, he can fire and, and CEOs just like that, right? So when he owns it, he, it's, his, it's his company. He can do what he wants. He's trying to save the, the stock value of Twitter because of taking a dump with all of this stuff. But it was losing money before he, he took it over, right? So now he's going to strip down the cost, try to turn it into at least a break-even proposition. And he's going to use it to further all of his other goals at the same time. And if it helps him to hire a different CEO in order to reassure the markets and stabilize the stock price, and of course, that's what he's going to do. But for him, it's a game. He's playing three-dimensional chess, and he's good at it. It's good for him. He's a good businessman. He's a good engineer, and he's a visionary. He's actually bringing a lot of things together into a single package. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what he does next. And let me be clear. I don't agree with him as a person or that he's, he's, he is also a flawed individual, but, but what he's achieving is, is what I'm looking at. And it's pretty impressive. Hey, thank you, Francis. Well, I think we will provide a part two because Elon deserves it. And there's more to share on this ongoing drama. And we wish you the very best at this time, this time they call the between years, between Christmas and New Year's. And I wonder what you're up to out there. I hope your brain, which is as wide as the sky, is brimming with ideas and creativity, and that your imagination is traveling and opening itself up to a new year, full of hope that next year will be better than this one. And hey, please check out my new site at baileyalexander.com. I have a fun new interactive map, which allows you to click on any city and read a tease from my book called A European Odyssey, How a Boxer's Daughter Found Grace. And on my site, I have little films and little essays, little blessés, and I'm currently migrating content from my previous site that you liked. So please come and join the fun and subscribe so you can get gifts and fun stuff. And with that, I wish you a happy new year from Italy. Buon anno and auguri and all the very best. So arrivederci.